Welcome everyone to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hi everyone, this is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant Today, a weekly podcast. It's good to have you. Brian has joined us again today, and what we're going to talk about today is self-image and self-esteem and what's the difference. And we've been talking before about approval and approval addiction and how that leads to seeking praise, and of course that leads to our self-image. Brian, when we look at self-image and self-esteem, it's kind of interesting because a lot of people throw these two terms out interchangeably. They speak of self-image, they speak of self-esteem, and most of the time we just use one or the other and we think we're talking about the same thing. However, if we consider the difference between the two, it is really quite enlightening, and it really will begin to change the dynamics of how you interact with your friends, with your coworkers, with your employees, with your children, and with your students. So I would highly encourage the listener to consider this difference and how they can apply it to their world. So what I want to do first, Brian, is I want to clarify what self-image is and differentiate it from self-esteem. Well, self-image is how I want others to see me. It's the image that I hope other people see of me. It's what I am trying to project. It's almost like a movie film that I've created that I want to present and have others see me in my movie of life and have an opinion of me, which is to my liking. Specifically, we oftentimes shoot for a self-image that is trying to match and mimic the beliefs that other people have, the values that other people have, what's most important to other people we try to emulate. And how we decide to do what we do oftentimes is to please others. So it becomes very important to us to create a self-image that people accept, approve of, praise, and then we feel good because we've garnered their approval. Another way of saying it is it's the mask I wear to fit in. One of the things that verifies our self-image is our swag, our car, our toys, our zip code, how we dress, how we wear our hair. It is when I pretend to be someone that I'm not to make sure I'm conforming and being approved of by others. It's when I'm trying to impress my group of friends. It's projecting my success. It is having a prideful nature. The difference between self-image and self-esteem, self-esteem by contrast, is the level of respect I have for myself, which specifically means the respect I have for my own beliefs. I'm gonna stand on my own beliefs instead of thinking about what everyone else believes. And I live out what's important to me instead of living out what's important to other people. But if I agree with them and I want to do the same thing that they're doing, then I've made a personal decision to make that important on its own. That is what I'm talking about when I say I have a level of respect I have for myself. I can stand firm on what I believe. And it's making decisions that don't necessarily follow the crowd, but are really based on my own core beliefs and values. It's being real and authentic. It's being content with who I am. It's being grounded in personally held convictions. So, Brian, clearly a difference between self-image and self-esteem. 
how's that definition of those two words work for you? Well, those two different words, I can buy the framework that you lay out for the distinction and meaning there. I think that self-image might be slightly more novel to most of the listeners. And self-esteem is probably, a lot of people have probably heard of self-esteem, and that has positive and negative connotations depending on who you talk to. I think a lot of people confuse the two. So when people talk about self-esteem, they think you're talking about self-image. But this is more of a distinction between like self-projection versus self-perception. So there's the way that you put yourself out there, the way that you want to be seen versus the way that you see yourself. And those two things can be really incongruent sometimes in people. It might be that whatever a person is projecting is totally fake and they might be projecting that they've got it all together, that they're happy, that things are good for them, that they're cool, they're stylish, and they've got the latest cool thing. But then deep down in their own perception of themselves is that they're worthless and they'll never be enough and all that sort of thing. And true happiness or true success is when you find that there's a congruence there in that what's being projected is real and genuine. And then what's being felt inside is a genuine self-respect. And I think that this is all part of a conversation about being cautious about what kind of success you pursue and then what ensues from that mindset. So to pursue worldly success, to put it simply, versus pursuing individual change and transformation and self-improvement to look at the way that you feel about yourself and ask the question, well, why do I not love myself? What is going on internally? And if I do love myself, how do I grow that and help others to feel love for themselves in the way that I do? Which has nothing to do with the bells and whistles of life. So, yeah, this is certainly a really important topic. And I think we could use the word self-image and self-esteem as being kind of two opposites of a continuum. And on the self-image side, it's all about look at me. And on the self-esteem side, it's, well, how much do I respect myself in spite of how much esteem I have from others? How much do I have for myself? I don't know how a person goes about exploring that in themselves, but it seems like it would be a beneficial exercise for most everybody. And it's interesting that many of us don't. And it's a question that I bring up consistently when I teach this material. And people, it's the first time they've ever really reflected on it. You know, one of the most common things I hear from young people is their sense of unworthiness. They don't feel worthy. What does that mean? You've probably been around a lot of young people before or see it in children when a person doesn't feel worthy that's they're assessing in their self-image that they're not worth something and they don't feel they get the attention from other people they don't feel they get the approval of other people they don't feel they're getting the love of other people what is your observation about this common comment that i hear about i don't feel worthy 
I feel unloved as a self-image. What does that cost a person? I think that's very common. And I think you can have low self-esteem, a feeling of unworthiness. You can have those feelings no matter what is going on on the outside. In other words, you can present a very strong self-image and still have those feelings, like I was saying before. And I think from my observation and my education, that is tragically common for people to have low self-esteem, low self-worth, and feel feelings of unworthiness. And they might project that they feel unworthy about themselves. They might be so apathetic about their own presentation to the world that they truly come off as a slob or a really apathetic person. Or it could be just the opposite, that they are always happy and they've got good friends and they got cool stuff, they got a good job, and their family seems reasonably healthy, and yet deep down inside they might feel terribly unworthy. And I think that worthiness is often 2020 and that comes kind of in different ways like in the moment of living it's easy to feel behind it's easy to feel down it's sometimes you misunderstand people and maybe you feel outcast by people or unloved or unaccepted by a certain group and then only after you experience some kind of maybe a project that you're working on actually goes well the team pulls it off, and it ends up being a success in the end. Maybe the people that you want to like you do actually like you, and they start inviting you into the fold. And then you only look back and start to feel worthy looking back because you're finally getting some wins or some success. And that seems like it's just a hit of fresh acceptance or fresh worthiness. And it seems like, wouldn't it be great if the worthiness and the self-esteem was more chronic. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the things that we see that follows a sense of unworthiness, a sense of not being valued or not being approved of or not fitting in or not getting these approval and praise from other people, it leads to anxiety. We've talked quite a bit about anxiety. And let's delve into that a little bit. So when we see a lot of anxious behavior and anxiety and many people talk about, I'm anxious, I have anxiety. How much of that comes from a sense of unworthiness? Well, I think on an individual level, only the beholder can say. But if I can just speak from my own personal experience, I feel worry about lots of different things at different times for different reasons. That's everything from... You know, how am I going to handle this physically? The people that I'm with, are they going to be able to understand the physical limitation? How much pain am I going to be in that I have to suck it up? And I fear looking weak to people, especially females. I fear having sins of the past, I guess, be an embarrassment to me and people thinking less of me. You know, if someone was gossiping about me, I mean, the list goes on. So it's very easy to understand how the majority of people feel these same feelings of tension every time they walk out their door. And it's just a never-ending fight 
to feel good about yourself and to be accepted by others. Yeah. You know, and I think the other thing that we see happen with this sense of unworthiness and low self-image, Brian, you've been around it a lot. You've been around kids your age. It's an epidemic in our society today with the high rate of suicide, particularly in young people. How bad does that sense of unworthiness get? How bad does that level of self-image get or having low self-esteem versus high esteem? How much does that play into suicide and thoughts of suicide that many young people experience and see? Well, it's interesting. I think a lot of people, when they think about your definition of self-image earlier, they may have thought of Instagram, right? Sure. (laughs) Self-Instagram. That would be a funny word to use, self-image or self-Instagram, right? How do you look (laughs) out there to the world? What do you think about yourself on Instagram? Because that's all that matters, right? Yeah. I've heard this anecdote out there and other people who are doing research about this, young people really struggling with social media and the self-image centricness of social media. There's body image type challenges for girls and guys, and it just goes on. And apparently this is difficult for both sexes, but particularly for young girls. Girls can too, but boys have a tendency to retreat into video games and other things, whereas I think the girls, their need for social belonging is typically more significant. So they're more on their phone. They get phones at a younger age than guys do. They get on social media. They want to chat with their friends. But when that all turns on them, it can be devastating. And this has come up in even fictionalizations about young kids in high school and some private content gets shared and someone ends up getting bullied into leaving the school or worse. And this isn't just a high school thing or a kid thing. This is also a adult thing that continues to plague everyone. And what's really crazy is the focus right now is on social media because it's kind of a novel thing. But I think even if you have no Instagram account no Facebook account, and no way to compare yourself to your peers online through scrolling through images of other people and stuff like that. Even if you got rid of all of that, one-on-one face-to-face human interactions can be brutal. So (laughs) there's really no escape from the world of self-image and the entanglement of the never-ending struggle to feel worthy. And it seems that the more that a person's worthiness is tied to their self-image, the more difficult it is for them to feel that sense of self-respect and love for themselves. And I would love to hear a psychiatrist or psychologist or both come on and maybe talk about ways to get out of feelings of unworthiness that are so intense that they lead to suicide. And also could lead to... Bullying could lead to lashing back at the people you've been bullied by that have made you feel less than or made you feel unworthy. And then you see school shootings, mass murders, and things like that creeping into our culture more and more as we've seen a demise of this sense of worthiness 
in lack of self-respect and the need for approval of others. And if you don't get the approval from others, and bullying is the antithesis of approval, then we lash out in many, many forms. And we may end up taking our own life. We may take the life of other people. All of these are very, very bad choices. So as we look at this, Brian, what can we do? You know, he's talked about after the fact, everybody says we need to do this and we need to do that. And it seems like we're always one step behind in creating the level of respect in an individual so that they have respect for life, have respect for others, can put themselves in other people's shoes, can have a sense of worthiness, have a sense of value, have a sense of contribution. So what are we missing? What is not occurring? And the question that really comes to me is how do we raise a child with high self-esteem and a high level of respect for themselves? How do we raise a child How do we communicate with a teenager? How do we communicate with a young adult? How do we communicate with an employee that elevates their esteem, gives them a feeling of respect for themselves? And how do we do that without creating this approval addiction and have it be dependent on other people? Because we have made the approval addiction dependent on other people, then again, the person's self-worth is dependent on other people. How do we transition that? How do we change that, that their self-worth is not dependent on other people, but dependent on themselves? So that's the big, big question that I think we just don't talk about enough in our society today. And you're raising young kids today. So how are you raising your children to have a high self-esteem? You know, many times before I said, Brian, This is a great esteem-building experience that these children just went through. And I think we don't look for esteem-building experiences. We look for our kids and other people to do things that we approve of, that we want them to do, or we expect them to do, instead of recognizing it as an esteem-building experience. So if I've mentioned that to you in the past, Brian, when I said this is an esteem-building experience for your kids, What does that mean to you when I say that? Hmm. Well, I have some ideas about what a steam building experience might look like. I'm having trouble with this one, especially how is it not praised to have steam building experiences? Well, Brian, I think this is a great question we all face when we're raising children, when we're teaching students, when we're trying to manage employees, when we're trying to work in a community and create some benefit for the community in a volunteer situation, or almost any interaction we have, there's opportunities for us to create esteem building experiences for people. And I think we miss those opportunities because we think everybody wants approval and we think everybody wants praise. So that's what we give. And in reality is we're damaging them. We're damaging their esteem by doing that. And what I mean by that is this. One of the things that we can do when we observe a behavior that we like and we see as that being beneficial to that person, we see that that behavior and that choice they made and that decision was beneficial to them. So I quit thinking about how it benefits me and how it pleased me. Instead, 
I'm saying what pleased them. So what just happened, was it pleasing to them? And the only way we know that is to ask the question and asking the question, how do you feel about that? I just observed this thing that you did, and this is an esteem-building experience that we've talked about before, Brian, and since you're on the call, I'm going to use your example. When you observed your son collect all that candy around the pinata, and then you observed your son walk away with a bag full of candy, and he walked by a girl who was standing there with an empty bag who was too afraid to get into the fray of getting her own candy. And your son walked past her, turned around, went back, without saying anything to her, start taking a handful of candy out of his bag and putting it into hers. Now, you observe that. That was an opportunity to do one of two things. Either praise him and let him know that you approved of his behavior, and then he could say, oh, good, my dad approved of my behavior, so I did good. My teacher approved of my behavior, so I did good. Or what you did do, you said, son, how'd you feel about that? That was generous. Do you know what generosity means? And your son was able to then experience the experience of the experience. In other words, experience the event, experience the feeling that occurred as a result of the event, and then experience the steam building that took place in him and the level of respect that went up in him as he made the decision to do that. When he made the decision to give that candy to a little girl, do you think he's going to continue to do that throughout his life? Do you think that's going to become a part of him and a part of his thinking? So recognizing to find the experience in the experience, see it as esteem building, identify it as esteem building, ask the person about it. In other words, if we tell a person, oh, you did great. I'm so proud of you. You were wonderful. You played a great game. You did a great job in the play. You know, if you tell them that, then you're perpetuating this feeling inside of them that they need the approval of me. And they say, wow, I got the stamp of approval from my dad. Boom. You might as well just get a rubber stamp, put it right on their forehead and say, approved of. And then the person can walk around saying, I've been approved of by my dad. I've been approved of by my mom. I've been approved of by my teacher. I've been approved of by my friends. Instead, what we need to do is stop and say, wait a minute, this is not about my evaluation. It's not about me, it's about them. So what makes it about them? Say, son, I really enjoyed the play. It was very entertaining. I thought it was phenomenal. How do you feel about it? Oh, I thought it was great. What about it was great? What specifically did you do or did you observe that made it great? Well, I thought I really kept my lines. And that one time that person said to me something and I modified my lines a little bit and everyone laughed and it came across really good. I thought that was really neat. I really liked that. Yeah, that played very well. Everyone seemed to like it. What else did you like about it? How do you feel about what you experienced? See, we don't do that enough. We don't ask our kids how they feel about it. We don't ask them to self-evaluate we evaluate. The greatest error we make as teachers of young people, teachers of our employees, teachers of our students, teachers of our children, is we evaluate them instead of getting them to evaluate themselves. We need to always be thinking of a matrix for their self-evaluation and let them pontificate about it. 
let them experience the experience of the experience, which means they had the experience, then they're going to have the evaluation of it, and then they're going to have the feeling that they have, the esteem-building experience, that feelings they have inside. They have more respect for themselves because of their own self-evaluation. And that, to me, is so important and so missing in our culture today. Well, logically, it sounds to me like you're describing a situation where you're giving your teammates and or young people or your children an opportunity to, instead of having a neural pathway to, yeah, I got approved of by my dad or my friend, it's a different neural pathway. It's a critical thinking exercise to inward examination. And just that exercise of inward examination, A, enhances the critical thinking and self-evaluation of the person, but also encourages them to arrive at their own understanding of their own character. That's like an upgraded affirmation because in an affirmation, you just say to someone, you're dependable, and that's appreciated. Or you're thorough, and that really saves me a lot of time and energy, and I really appreciate it. Or you can add an extra layer of, but what do you think? What kind of character did you discover about yourself in that process? And in doing so, look at the level of respect that they have for themselves as they go through that process. It's phenomenal. Right, right. And it's funny because I never thought of that because I do that with my kids, but where I do it always or very consistently is when I'm shooting a video and I'm directing the talent on screen. And whenever we do a take, when I say cut, sometimes I'll say, okay, that was no good. We got to do it again. Sometimes I'll say, I like that, but always will say, what did you think about it? How did you feel about your performance there? And always it then becomes two people working together to create something. It's not just me saying, all right, do this, do that, and that'll make it better. It's now a team effort where the person who's on screen then gets to say, well, I thought I could have done this better, that better, and I need to slow down at this part. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. And just always is better that way. I learned that from watching an interview. I think it was one of the actors in Good Will Hunting talking about being directed and how the director would always ask him, how did you feel about what you did? Those are great examples, Brian. And it's missing in our society today. We're so quick to tell people what we think about their performance, what we think about their activity, instead of asking them. And I always say, ask instead of tell. Ask and let the person describe it for themselves. I find that when I ask people, they're really quite fair. They'll they'll fairly assess themselves and they'll fairly see their mischief and they'll say what I can do to improve it. And they'll fairly see what they did really well and how that served the process well. So they really have the ability of self-assessment, except we sabotage them and interfere with that process because we have to weigh in and give our approval and tell them, I'm so proud of you. And then it's like, that stops the process. My dad's proud of me. I got approval. Okay. So I really don't have to self-evaluate at all. 
I just got their approval, so I'm good. And we really cripple the steam building opportunities with people we hang with. And unless we recognize it and recognize that people have done to us, we never can shift it. So for the person who's been raised by a parent and raised by teachers who have always been, I'm so proud of you, and always have lavished praise on them and lavished approval and bought them all kinds of trophies and bought them a car and you know, bought them candy and just lavished this praise on them. If you've been one of those people that have had that happen, you need to recognize and say, okay, maybe this has something to do with why I'm so anxious. This may have something to do with why I have suicidal thoughts. This may have something to do with why I am so hurt by people's gossiping or suspect people of gossiping about me. So, I think there's a lot to be said here for having the person become aware of how this can have a negative effect on our feelings about ourselves and how we function in our world and the sense of worthiness that we have or the sense of unworthiness we have. And I would just ask everyone to weigh in and think about that and self-examine that for your own life and see how it fits for you and take the steps that you need to take to mitigate that challenge that has been presented to you. Do you think that that's really enough to save someone from their despair and feelings of unworthiness? Yes, I believe it's possible they can. A lot of times when we recognize the source of our unworthiness or the origin of it, we then have the ability to act on it. And that might be getting professional help It might be having a different conversation with yourself. It might be associating yourself with a different group of friends. There could be a lot of things that you're looking for to mitigate this. There's two parts of this that we're talking about. We're talking about what you can do to develop this in your child or develop this in the people that you have a relationship with. We've talked about ask them instead of telling them. Before we go into the other thing too much, I want to go through a couple more and then let's go back to that question about is it enough to reverse this self-image process that exists in somebody? The second thing we can do is we need to affirm for their effort, not their intelligence, not their smartness, not their athleticism. We need to affirm them for their effort. One of the most important things we can do is acknowledge the effort that we see people make. You know, they may not get the perfect result. They may not get the results you wanted, but it's more important that we affirm their effort than we improve their performance, their achievement, their intelligence. The third thing we can do, and you mentioned this earlier, acknowledge them for their character. This is the other way we can build children and people around us, create high self-esteem experiences, is acknowledge them for their character the diligence, their determination, their contribution, their courtesy, acknowledge them for their manners, their compassion, their other-centeredness, their generosity, their decisiveness, all these things that we can pick out and acknowledge a child for, a student for, an employee for, acknowledge them for their character. When I started acknowledging the character of my employees, instead of pointing out the things they did wrong, and expecting the things that needed to be done right. I started to acknowledge them for their individual character qualities. And when you do that, you could watch the person's esteem just elevate. 
the level of respect that they have for themselves dramatically goes up when you acknowledge a person's character qualities. So to me, the three things that we need to do, and there's more that we can do, but three things that we can do to transition from this perpetuating a high self-image mindset to perpetuating a high self-esteem mindset is stop thinking about what pleases you and instead what pleases them and ask them to tell you about it. The second thing is affirm them for their effort instead of affirming them for their intelligence or smartness or athleticism, and then acknowledge them for their character qualities. I think those three things, if you focused on that when you're raising kids, coaching kids, teaching kids, teaching or managing employees, managing your friend relationships, all of these things will elevate the esteem of others and elevate your own self-esteem as well. So how do you feel about those three things, Brian, to answer the question, what can we do to develop a high self-esteem in other people? Do you like those? Yeah, I think they're great. You know, I'm concerned about people who would use those techniques with the intention of just continuing to manipulate other people, like their subordinates, especially in a workplace, for example, where you're really using these different examples of what you're talking about, but it's actually a encoded version of praise that you're just using to get people to be better employees. I think what you're talking about when you talk about these things is someone who's coming from a deliberate intent to enhance the growth of others. Because if you're just using those things to show your approval to people, but you're just trying to spice it up a little bit, then that defeats the purpose. So it all comes from a place of intention, of love and support, and growing the self-esteem of another person, growing their independence, and that sort of thing. If you can create a sense of value in them, if you can create a sense of worthiness in them by the way we respond to them, and we do a lot of damage to our children. We do a lot of damage to our students. We do a lot of damage to the people we work with by the way we gossip about them, by the way we belittle them, by the way we make fun of them. When they meet our approval, we give them the stamp of approval. That, again, is value judging. So we do a lot of damage by being judgmental. Yes, it's important to be a good judge of character. And when we see an opportunity to acknowledge somebody's character, mention that character, builds them up, increases the level of respect they have for themselves. So as we have these inner relationships that we're talking about here, what do we want to do? Do we want to elevate a person's level of respect they have for themselves, or are we elevating their dependence on my approval and the approval of other people in their life? That's where we really want to break the pattern is they're having this dependency on approval of others and meeting the expectations of others to being driven by our own intrinsic core beliefs, our core values, and our core principles that determine how we respond in every situation. That's really what we want. Instead of us thinking about what do other people believe, what is most important to other people, what do they value, and what do they typically do that I need to mimic and copy and conform to so I fit in? When we're thinking of those things as our measuring stick for worthiness, 
that can be a very empty vessel. And it may be full at times in your life, but then it's easily emptied when people stop paying attention to you and stop giving you praise, stop giving you approval. If that happens, you can have a lot of sad days. And oftentimes, if it turns against you, where people start gossiping about you and being critical of you, comparing you negatively to other people, then that can be very debilitating because now you're not grounded in your own core beliefs, values, and principles. You're depending on what other people have to say about you. See, my philosophy has been what other people think of me is none of my business. And the reason I can say that is because I have core beliefs that I've thought through. I have core values. I've been very clear about what's most important to me. And I continually make that most important in spite of what other people want and what other people say. And I live out my precepts that I've decided to live out in my life. And I don't necessarily buy into other people's precepts and principles that they want to live by. I say, that's you, that's not me. And as long as we can continue to stand firm in our beliefs, values, and principles and not rely or depend on other people because that waxes and wanes. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. And you suffer the consequences when it's bad. But when you are living out your own beliefs, values, and principles all the time, you don't wax and wane, you don't go back and forth, you don't have highs and lows, you stay grounded and firmly committed to what you believe, what you value, and the precepts you have set for your life. So to me, that's a huge difference. And when you can do that, you have a high level of esteem and a high level of respect for yourself because you're making what you believe is the most important thing. When you respect other people more than you respect yourself, you start operating on what they believe and what they value, and that's an empty vessel. My goal is to see people live a more fulfilled life, and they do that by having a high self-esteem, which is a level of respect they have for themselves. I feel like that's a real challenge. You know, it's a very ambitiously positive approach, but I think most lay people are going to find that to be extremely difficult to get to that point. Why do you think it's so difficult for people? Well, maybe it's kind of an old habits die hard kind of thing where people are so entangled in the need to be loved by a spouse or a group of people and need that need to be accepted. I think of people who are in a lot of pain or have trauma or have a debilitating illness. I mean, the kind of unworthiness and low self-image and low self-esteem that that creates is like, unless you're Jesus or Buddha, most people just, they have a hard time recognizing life beyond that tumult. Well, it is hard and it isn't easy when you're in that place of projecting a high self-image and you're dependent on people's approval of you. But what you get with that is the good and the bad. You get the approval and then you get the disapproval too. That is difficult too, to take the disapproval. So there is an alternative way to look at this. And I think one of the things that we need to recognize as we close here today is how our approval addiction and then perpetuating and building off that with praise and accolades 
and patting everybody on the back, putting their stamp of approval on other people, creates this image in us that we're trying to pretend to meet. It's a mask we wear. And instead, we can begin with total unconditional acceptance, being affirmed for who we are and affirming other people for who they are, and create a steam-building experience for other people, which we don't focus enough attention on. And Brian, as we get into the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the other four aspects of this transition in the seven dichotomies of motivation and inspiration. And we've just touched on the first three. The third one that we just touched on is one of the most difficult ones to digest, I would agree. So as we've come to close, I want everyone to be thinking about this. And when I first was aware of this, it took me 20 years to figure it out. So be patient with yourself, figure it out, and we'll talk more next time about the next four dichotomies and how they tie into these first three. Are you okay with that, Brian? Sure. And I want to thank you, everyone, for joining us today and join us next time to continue this conversation we're having with Brian on this importance of why we do what we do. Thanks, Brian, and have a great week, everyone. We'll see you next week. Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. 